please and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter number 2 and Lord willing tonight we're going to finish up with 2 Peter chapter 2 and then we will uh, we'll look at uh, the third chapter of 2 Peter starting next week and we should be there about two weeks and then three weeks from now my plan is to start the book of Romans and that's something that I am very excited about anytime that you can get into the Word of God and study through a book in Scripture, you're going to get a hold of the truth of what God says. Can you say amen to that? We believe that all Scripture is inspired by God the Holy Spirit, that it's profitable for us. And so anytime you get in the Word of God, it's going to be good for you. It's real and it's relevant to your life when you get a hold of God's absolute truth. But there's something special about the book of Romans. It's foundational to the Christian faith. And so I'm excited to be able to share with you uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, straight through the book of Romans. And I'm asking that you would join me in praying for that. We want God to be glorified. We want Him to be honored. Uh, we certainly want His leadership and His guidance in everything that we do. So pray with me as I pray for that, that God would do, just do what only He can do through that study. But we'll start that in the next uh, probably three weeks. But tonight... Let's look back at Second uh, Peter chapter number 2. The whole book of Second Peter is all about Peter warning us against false doctrine and false teachers. We saw that in these first two chapters. In the second chapter of Second of Peter, he tells us about the counterfeit Christian, the pseudo-saint, the false doctrine of the false teacher, um, and man, it's powerful stuff and something that we need to know as the people of God. And so in the second chapter here, we've seen, first of all, the danger of false teachers. We've seen the doom of false teachers, where they're headed, where they're going. And then last week, if you remember, we looked at the direction of false teachers. And so what really what I think Peter does here, he says, if you want to be able to spot the apostate, if you want to know that which is counterfeit, then you need to look at how they live. How many of you know, folks, anybody can say anything, but people will always live out what they believe. And so he said, if you want to be able to spot that which is false, look at the decisions and choices they make. Look how they conduct their lives, because that's going to show you who's real and who's not real, uh, the, the truth from that which is false. And so he gave us some very descriptive language, to say the least, in describing um, these false teachers, these counterfeit Christians, these pseudo-saints. So let's, let's review there just a little bit before we go any further. First of all, he told us in verse number 10 that they were going to be very presumptuous, that they were going to be prideful. Now what does it mean that they're going to be prideful? Well, he tells us there in verse number 10, he says that they're going to be self-willed. They're going to have a lot of self-love. That's what pride is all about. They want it their way. They're going to do it their way, no matter what anybody else believes or says, not even what God says is going to change their mind. They're going to be very self-willed. But then it says they're also going to be, they're going to have a lot of self-love. That's what presumptuous thinking is all about. They're going to love themselves. They're going to want to be glorified for everything good that takes place, even though God is the only one who deserves the honor and the glory. How do you know, folks, if it's not for God's grace, we're all condemned. If it's not for God's power, we can never be effective. So anything good that takes place in the church, God should get the glory for it. For anything, for souls that are being saved, we glorify God. For ministries that are making a difference, we glorify God. For the church growing, we glorify God. We've seen church growth and we're so very thankful for it. We praise God for it. But listen to me. God deserves the glory for all of that. Without His working in, the people's, in people's lives, none of that is possible. So we glorify God in everything that we do. But that's not true for the false teacher. They're going to want the glory. They're, that's not true for the counterfeit Christian. They're going to want the glory for everything that takes place good. And listen, for anything that don't work out, anything that goes bad, they're never going to take responsibility. Why? Because they love themselves. They're presumptuous. They're prideful. And Peter makes that clear there in verse number 10. And then he tells us in verse number 12 that they behave as beasts. They got beastly behavior. 
Now what does it mean to uh, act as natural beasts? Verse 12 says, but these as natural beasts. What does that, what's he talking about there? To act as a natural beast, to behave in a beastly way. Well, I think the only way we can really answer that is by taking a look at the animal kingdom because that's what uh, Peter is comparing them to. Let me give you two statements concerning beastly behavior that I think uh, we need to take note of. First of all, to behave like a beast is to lack self-control. And it's also to lack common decency. That's what it means to behave like an animal. <laughs> Amen? Now, I'm going to be honest with you tonight. I've got two beasts that I'm very fond of at my home. Uh, my two dogs, Lobo and Lady, my two German shepherds. I'm a dog guy. I love dogs. Always have been. I'm a, we've got a cat. I'm not really a cat person. I can deal with a cat, but I love my dogs. I mean, they're my buddies. I spend a lot of time with them pretty much every day. I'm out in the yard with the dogs. I talk to them about as much as I talk to anybody. They hadn't started talking back yet, but if they do, I'll let you know. They, I, I enjoy spending time with my dogs. I really do. Now, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of these people who put dogs on the same level as human beings. We shouldn't do that. And I don't do that, but I, I do thank the world on my dogs. I really do. Now, let me tell you what I figured out about my dogs. Even though I thank the world of them, I've come to find out they are beastly in their behavior. Why? Because they're beasts. Amen? Let me tell you what I found out about my dogs. They lack self-control. They're going to do what they want, when they want, however they want to do it. They're going to do what pleases them in spite of what anybody else thinks, says, or does. My dogs, uh, they lack common decency. My dog Lobo, one of the things that he loves to do, he'll go out in the neighborhood and collect all the stuff in people's yard and then bring it back to my yard. He does that stuff all the time. Drives me crazy. I'm talking about he'll drag up anything he can possibly uh, carry around in his mouth. I've had lawn chairs brought to my house. I've had uh, shoes brought to, shoes all the time, house, house shoes, flip-flops, tennis shoes from all over the neighborhood. He brings them to my house. Anything he can find on the porch, he brings to my porch. Dishes, um, pots and pans. I don't know where in the world this dog is getting pots and pans. I don't know if people's letting him in their house and he's going into the cabinet and getting pots and pans or they're putting pots and pans outside. But anyway, all of that comes right back to my house. And usually what he wants to do is drag it right up on the porch so everybody can see it. He's proud of what he's found and he puts it right there on the porch. So when I walk out and I've scolded him, Man, I've disciplined them. I've whipped them. I mean, I've done everything I needed to know to do to keep them from dragging stuff in the yard, and they still do it. And they know they're doing wrong. I'll come outside and see that junk just piled up around my front door, and I'll say, Lobo! And he knows by the tone of my voice, he'll put the mirrors down and run around the house. He knows he's in trouble. He knows he shouldn't do it, but he lacks self-control. And no matter how, how many times I tell him, to quit stealing the neighbor's stuff, he lacks common decency. Why? Because he's a beast. And that's what beasts do. Amen? And that's what they're going to continue to do. They're going to do what they want, how they want to do it, whenever they want to do it, in spite of what anybody else says or does or thinks. And so that's what Peter says about the counterfeit Christian, the pseudo-saint, the false prophet. He says they're going to behave as beasts. I don't know if any of you have saw it in the recent past, but the last two or three weeks, I, I, I guess it was two weeks ago now, I read an article um, about uh, some mainline denominations among Protestants that are allowing those who live in an open homosexual relationship to become pastors and leaders in their denomination. And, and everybody's, just, everybody's going crazy over it. Not, not that they're trying to say that's wrong, but praising them for standing up for how they believe and how they want to live. Now, folks, listen to me. That's exactly what Peter's talking about here. He's saying that these people lack self-control. These people lack common decency. Now, don't get me wrong. Please don't misunderstand me. I want you to understand and know that the homosexual, the grace of God is available to them just like it's available to me. 
I want you to know God can change their life just like he has changed my life. I never want to fall into the trap of hating sins that are not like mine. Don't we do that sometimes? We pick and choose sins to hate and then we get comfortable with sins that we struggle with so that we might feel better about ourselves and look down on somebody else. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to be real with you and hold to the standard of the Word of God. And listen, folks, what God says is wrong is wrong, and what God says is right is right. I'm not even saying that these people can't one day be leaders in their church. They certainly can. But first, they have to experience the forgiveness and grace that comes from trusting in Jesus. And once God has changed their life, by all means, God may use them to do great things in the church. But we shouldn't be celebrating that kind of stuff. We're to be calling that out. That is a false prophet. And Peter says, you'll know them by their lifestyle. We've got to learn to stand on and stick with the truth, especially in the day we live in. We've got to. There's an old country song that says, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's true. A lot of people say, well, you need to get with the times. I mean, you need to be a little bit more open-minded. A lot of people are so open-minded, their brains fell out. I don't want that to happen to me, and I don't want that to happen to you, and I don't want that to happen to this church. I want us to know that we're going to stick with the standard of the Word of God. Amen. We've got to. Let me give you another one. I hear these people on any kind of award show that you watch. I don't care what it is. And it's hard to even watch some of that trash today, I'll just be honest. But any kind of award show you see, you see these people stand up and they'll say something like this. They'll, they'll, they'll play their music or do their song or whatever they do, whatever kind of award they're getting, and they'll say, and I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The only problem with that, the song they're singing or the movie they've just been in is some of the most immoral things you've ever seen in your life or heard in your life. And they're living immorally in sight of everybody, no matter what people think, say, or do. But then they're going to stand up and say, I want to thank my Savior Jesus. Come on now, something on that up there. Listen to me, folks. Anybody who's truly been born again by God the Holy Spirit anybody who's truly trusted in Jesus as their personal Savior, there is going to be a change in their life. How do you know that, brothers? Well, first of all, I know it because it happened with me. Secondly, I know it because I look to the Word of God and I see everybody who meets Jesus and trusts in Him as Savior changes. If you don't believe me, look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was the foremost persecutor of the gospel. He was going around imprisoning and actually having Christians killed, thinking he was doing the will of God. Then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and everything changes. He goes from being the foremost persecutor of the gospel to being the foremost preacher of the gospel. Look at Peter. You remember him, don't you? Oh, switchblade carrying cussing Peter. Man, after Jesus rose again from the grave, after Peter placed his trust in Christ fully, guess what happened? Peter became the first pastor of the first church in, in Jerusalem, preached on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls got saved, and the same Peter who was afraid to stand up for Jesus, listen to me, for fear of being killed, was the same one who kept preaching the gospel even though they told him not to and ended up being martyred, being crucified upside down because he didn't feel himself worthy to be crucified like his Lord. How did that change? How did he get that courage? How did he get that to the point where he was speaking the truth of the word of God? How did God change his speech and change his thinking and change his life? I'll tell you how. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And anybody says that they've been born again and God the Holy Spirit that'll work in their life but there's not a change in their desire and direction something's wrong something's wrong I'm not saying folks that you're going to be perfect none of us are perfect we're still walking around in this flesh but there's going to be a change in your desire and direction 
I'll promise you that. And we'll look more at that in a moment. So Peter says you got to look at how they're living. They'll have beastly behavior. They'll be prideful in their acting and in their thinking. But then he says in verse 15 and 16 that greed will be their God. And he compares them to the false prophet Balaam of the Old Testament. Balaam was a false prophet who chose to mislead God's people and speak a false message so that he, get, he could get paid. Why? Because he loved money more than he loved God. Money was his God, and he'd do anything for the almighty dollar. He, he, he chose to mislead the people of God because he wanted money. Why? Because he loved money more than he loved people. That's what drove him. If there's one thing I see today, I see evidence of this everywhere. Again, if you don't believe me, please turn on your television and listen to some TV preaching. This prosperity gospel makes me sick. Turns my stomach. Because it's giving people false hope. It's misleading people, knowingly misleading people for money. That is a very dangerous thing. Oh my gosh, I can't even stress to you how dangerous it is. We'll see it in just a moment, but my goodness. I, I, this week, uh, or to this morning, I was preparing for this message and, and I was going to show you a clip from a very popular TV preacher. And, and most of you would know him. If I, I, I'm not going to show you the clip. If you want the clip after service, come to me, I'll give it to you. I, I, I just I, I think I'm, I don't think I'm going to show it tonight because I'm not here to bash anybody. That's not what I'm trying to do. I am trying to warn you according to the Word of God. But if you want the clip, I'll give it to you. I mean, he said it. It was on t television. It's right off the TV screen that he was preaching on. And I, I'll give it to you if you want to see it, but I'm not going to show it to you. However, I am going to quote some of the things he says. Listen to what this man promises, what he says. He, he's trying to sell his new book. And he says... Somebody's son is going to be set free from alcohol because of your $1,000 seed. He said that he wants 1,000 people to give $1,000 in three months. God told him that's what he needed to say when he got up there. So he's asking for $1,000 from 1,000 people. And he makes the promise, somebody's son is going to be set free from alcoholism if you give your $1,000. Then he says, somebody is going to avoid a divorce because of your $1,000 seed. Then he says, some girl on drugs whose mama has been praying for her is going to be set free because of your $1,000 seed. Now listen to me very plainly. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Can God break the addiction of alcohol? Absolutely, but he don't need $1,000 to do it. Can God heal marriages? Absolutely. And he will heal marriages, not because someone gave $1,000, but because people get their heart right and turn to him and start doing marriage God's way. Start applying the truth of Scripture to your life. And can God break the addiction of drugs over a, a mama's daughter who's been praying? Absolutely, but it's not going to be done for $1,000. I've got a, I, there's a lot of stuff I'd love to talk to this guy about, but one thing, well, the couple of questions that I'd really like to ask him is, first of all, why $1,000? I mean, could, you, could God not do it with a dollar? Why 1000 Because what he's saying does not line up with what Jesus said. Luke Chapter number 21, I'm not going to go over there and read it to you. I want you to go read it for yourself this week. Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, Jesus is there uh, in the treasury. People are, are, are bringing their, their monetary gifts to the Lord. And, he, and the Bible says he's watching what everybody's putting in the plate. I think that's noteworthy. You know, Jesus watches what we put in the plate. And so he's watching everybody putting things in the plate. And he, and he sees all these people giving great sums of money. Then there's this little widow woman who comes walking up, and the Bible says she gave two mites. That's two copper coins that are worth less than today's penny. 
She goes up and drops that in the plate, and Jesus said she gave more than everybody. And nobody understood what he was talking about. Let me tell you what he was saying. He's saying this woman gave more than anybody because he knew everybody's heart. He knew why people were giving what they were giving. And even though she gave the least amount of money by far, listen, her blessing was going to be greater for she gave it for the right reason. See, she didn't, she didn't give it because of the promise of a blessing. She gave it to be a blessing. She, she gave it because she loved the Lord and she wanted to give God a portion of what she had, even though it wasn't much. Stuff like this that people are promising, man, that makes me sick. It's ridiculous. Another thing I'd like to ask you. If we're peddling the power of God, the grace of God, and the favor of God, then you're probably going to need to pay more than $1,000 for it. It's worth more than that. And I can't find anywhere in Scripture where it says it's for sale. We've got to open our eyes to some of this trash. That's what it is. It's ridiculous. And it bothers me so bad, first of all, because it's misleading people. People who've never read 2 Peter chapter number 2 don't know what they're getting into where they're being promised all this garbage. I mean, they see these people on TV flying in jets and sitting in gold chairs and, and all that. And that's another thing that bothers me. You're sitting in a gold chair, but you're on there begging for money. How about selling some like gold furniture? Get rid of that. I'd help you out. It's ridiculous. It's giving people false hope. Let me tell you something else it's doing. It's giving everybody else a bad name. Because a lot of people who see that, they think that's the way everybody is. I think Peter was bothered by it too. Greatly. And rightly so. That's why he says... They're prideful and behave like beasts and greed is their God. But then he says something else. That's the direction of the false prophet, of the false teacher, of the counterfeit Christian, of the pseudo-saint. Tonight I want you to see the deception of the false prophet, the counterfeit Christian, the pseudo-saint. Look what it says, starting with verse number 17. They are wells without water, clouds that are carried without a, with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. Do you see that last part of verse number 17? He says the midst of darkness... It's, it's reserved forever for them. Do you remember Jesus saying, Woe unto those who mislead one of my little ones? He said, It would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the sea than to mislead one of mine. Man, I'm going to tell you something. I think what verse 17 is saying is there, a, there is a special place in the pit of hell for people who mislead others, listen, on purpose so that they might gain in riches. Dangerous thing. Very dangerous thing. Verse 18. For whom they speak great swelling words of vanity, they are lured with the lust of the flesh through much wantonness. Those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a, a man is overcome, the same as he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse than from the beginning. If it, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness then after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb the dog is returned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed uh, to her wallowing in the mire let's pray, pray together Father we love you thank you Lord for loving us give us truth concerning your scripture in Jesus name we pray Amen the deception of the false prophet. First of all, he again gives some very descriptive language. He compares them to some things. In verse number 17, he says, They're wells without water, and they're clouds carried with a tempest. Now, what's he saying there? Well, what I believe he's saying is they are promising what they can't deliver. 
Because that's what a well without water does. I remember years ago, we were paving out on 278 out, uh, at about the intersection of Highway 253, if some of you know where that's at. About the 12, 13 mile marker, somewhere right in there. And we were paving in those bad curves and been out there all day. And it was in the middle of July or in August, whenever it was. It's about a, it was about as hot as what it's been here for the last month. And man, at the end of the day, we was about to finish up and I done got dry and parched and thirsty. I mean, I, is it just, uh, so, you ever been so thirsty, boy, you could just taste a good cold glass of water? That's the way I was. And so after we got finished with the work at, that evening, I, I remembered about Godsey Springs. Anybody ever seen Godsey Springs? You know what I'm talking about? Godsey Springs is on your way to Haleville on 278. There's an inch-round pipe that comes out of the bank there that runs with some of the best water you'll ever put in your mouth. I'm telling you. And so every time I was by through there, I would stop and get me some of that water. And I remember that. I said, boys, I'm going to walk down here and get me a drink of water right quick. So I was walking down the road, and it had been dry for about a month, month and a half, I guess. I walked up there to that pipe sticking out of the ground, and there was no water running. The only time I can ever remember that happening. I've never seen it go dry, but it was really dry that summer. And I got over there, and that well was promising what it couldn't deliver on. Amen? And I think that's a perfect picture of what Peter is saying. These false prophets, these counterfeit Christians, these pseudo-saints are promising what they can't deliver. There is a world thirsty for truth. There is a world that wants to know what thus says the Lord. And the good news is, the Bible says, if you continue, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And you've got all these thirsty people. You've got all of these people wanting to be set free from the bondage that they're in, wanting peace and purpose and power in their life. And they're searching for something. Then they turn on the TV and see these Joker's up there preaching a bunch of false mess. And listen to me, folks. They're promising what they can't deliver, and people are getting the wrong idea. It breaks my heart. It's amazing. They're promising what they can't deliver, and they do it using great swelling words. Look at verse 18. When they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them which live in error. So what he's saying is, they're promising what they can't deliver, and they're doing it with a sharp tongue. You remember me telling you last week, a lot of these guys that I see, man, they could sell the sham wow in a minute. I mean, the flex seal guy ain't got nothing on them. They're really good at talking. But what they're saying has no substance. Why? Because it's not based upon truth and their message is lacking. Just like this, this man that was promising these people being delivered for their $1,000 gift. You've got to pay attention to the message. Was his, let me, let's, let's ask ourselves. Was his message more about people being set free from the bondage of sin through the message of the gospel and being supernaturally, spiritually changed? Or was it more about him being financially blessed by $1,000? Don't we need to ask ourselves that? They're offering what they can't deliver on and they use great swelling words doing it. Not only do they offer what they can't deliver, they offer freedom when they're themselves, they're themselves in slavery. Look at verse 19. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants or the slaves of corruption. They talk about the freedom that you can have, but they themselves are in corruption to their own greed, to their own immoral lifestyle. They offer what they can't deliver, they offer freedom when they themselves are slaves to corruption, slaves to sin. Now, this is the most dangerous one, though, verse 21. They've heard the truth, but they've not obeyed the truth. Look at this. 
For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Listen, when I, I, again, I, like I said last week, the apostate is not someone who's known, believed on Jesus, been supernaturally changed, and then lost their salvation. The apostate is someone who's heard the truth, rejected the truth, and then tries to get everybody else to follow their false way of living and believing. And so Peter says it would have been better for you to have never heard the truth than to have heard the truth, rejected the truth, and now trying to get people to follow your own false teaching. Because you're leading others astray. That's why I believe, he says, there's a special place in the pit of hell for people who's doing this. So he tell, calls them wells without water, clouds carried with a tempest. It's kind of like those summertime storms that sometimes blow up. Man, those clouds will be so dark, and you think, boy, we fisting to get a good rain. I mean, it's coming. And then they, they blow over real fast. There's a little thunder, a little lightning, but no water's in them. That's what Peter's saying. You don't get what you need from false teaching. And then he, he says something else. He says in verse 22, But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog was returned to his vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So what's he saying there? He compares them not only to wells without water and clouds without rain, but then he says they're like dogs that return to their vomit and pigs who have been washed returning to the slop, to the pig pen. Now, Peter being a Jew who was writing to a lot of Jews who had trusted in Jesus, he knows exactly the words he's using and why he's using them. When he's, he starts comparing them to pigs and dogs, that was the lowest thing that a Jew could think of, pigs and dogs. And so I see his passion here. I see that he's a little bit keyed up about these people that are teaching false doctrine and misleading others. And he calls them dogs that return to their vomit and pigs that keep wallowing in the muck and mire. Now, the proverb he speaks of, he's actually quoting from Proverbs 16, 11 when he says it's like a dog returning to its vomit. But then he says it's like a pig wallowing in the mire. Now, I love what Dr. J. Vernon McGee says about this verse. He said that Peter is now giving us the proverb of the prodigal pig as Jesus gave us the, pro, the, the parable of the, of the prodigal son. And I like that. I think that's good. So to really get what he's saying, let's look back at Luke chapter 15 at the parable that Jesus spoke of the prodigal son. Let's look over there just a moment and then we'll come right back. Luke chapter number 15. And we'll start reading there in verse number 11. Before I do, let, let me give you some, uh, some background on the prodigal son. I've heard it preached many times, uh, uh, a salvation message from the prodigal son. And I want to be honest with you. I think that people have been saved and can get saved from the message of the prodigal son. But primarily, I believe the parable of the prodigal son is not uh, about a, a sinner becoming a son, but it's more about, primarily about, a son becoming a sinner. You understand me? It's about somebody who's in the family getting into a place and situations they don't need to be in. And it's more about a loving father than a wayward son when you actually look at this, this parable. And we're gonna, I'm going to preach on this in about two weeks. But, um, man, you're talking about some, well, this is good. Look at, look at this right here. I love it. Man, it blesses my soul every time I see it. Verse number 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons, 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. And he divided unto them his living. Now, for you to understand the gravity of what this young man is saying in, in verse number 12, you need to know a little bit about Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture, you know that the firstborn had the birthright. And he got a lot of what came from uh, the inheritance of the father. And then also, any other son that was in the family would, would again get some inheritance that was due to him. Now, that only happened at the point in time when the father died. That's the only time they would receive this. To receive it before then would almost be, well, certainly was, an insult to the father. Really what this young son is saying, Father, I would just soon you be dead so that I could get what's coming to me. Is really what he's saying. That would have broken the father's heart. Think about that, parents. If your kid said that to you, the Bible says that he divided unto him his living, and then verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a great famine in that land, and began to be in Walt, now get the picture. He gets all the money. He's got all the money he can spend. He gets out into the far country because you know how it is. I mean, sometimes we do the same thing as children of God. The grass is always a little bit greener on the other side. Amen. I was driving down the road the other day um, over in Winston County. And I, I come around a curve here in my work truck, and there's, there's these cows out everywhere, all over the road, up and down the shoulder of the road. And I found out real quick what was going on. I happened to look over to my right, and there was this cow that had the, the fence leaned all the way over, almost on the ground, because it was reaching its neck through, laying on that barbed wire fence, trying to get that one blade of grass way out here. And it's getting everybody in the mess. There's all out there about to get run over, and I was about to run over, and everybody else was, all because this one cow had to get that one green blade of grass, when if she had turned around, there was 25 acres of green grass behind her. But many times, that's what we do, and that's what this young son did. He didn't realize how good he had it at home. He wanted to get the greener grass somewhere else. He believed the lie that we sometimes believe that the world has something for us. L listen to me very plainly. I've tried what the world's got. I spent a lot of time there. Believe me, the world has nothing that would compare to a right relationship and fellowship with the God of heaven. Has nothing for you, child of God. This young man didn't know this. We tried it. He got out there with all the money he could spend and had all the women he could buy and all the friends he could handle as long as he had money. But then when all of his money gone, his fair-weather friends are gone too. And I've tried to share this with my kids. Y'all need to share it with your kids. You're going to have fair-weather friends along the way that are just along for the ride. They're not in it for you. They're in it for them and what they can get. And when what they can get has been exhausted, then they're going to move on somewhere else. That works for a young man with a young lady. Hello? And vice versa. That works with Good time buddies that are all about the good time but care not what happens to those who are paying for or providing the good time. That's what happened to him. The Bible says he began to be in want, verse 14, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He's feeding pigs now. And would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. Where's his buddies? Where's the good time friends? Where's the women? Where's the party crowd? They're gone, and that's what happens. I know because I've been there. Seen it. Experienced it. That's why I'm so thankful for the people of God. You hear me? Somebody say amen to that. 
Look to what you get in the body of Christ. I'm going to be just as honest as I can possibly be. I've got brothers and sisters in Jesus that are in this sanctuary right now that I am closer to than my immediate family. I can count on them more than my immediate family. I know that if I were to call them whenever, for whatever, they'd be there. I know they're praying for me and I'm praying for them. I'm encouraged by them. I'm edified by them. I hope and pray they are encouraged by me and edified by me. And all of this works together as the family, the body of Christ. You see a great uh, contrast here with the ways of the world. The Bible says no man gave unto him. And he was eating with the pigs. Now, there's a problem with that. Why? Because the son don't belong in the pigsty. Why? Because a son has the nature of his father, not the nature of a pig. Nature determines desire. Desire determines direction. Direction determines destiny. Watch. Let me prove it to you. Verse 17, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. He came to himself. Why did he come to himself? Why did this happen? Why did this epiphany come to this young man's mind? I'll tell you why. Because he had the nature of his father. He was not a pig. He didn't belong where he was. And so there came a time, even though sin was fun for a season, that season ran out real quick and he began to think, I'm not a pig, I'm a son. And I've got a place at daddy's house. And so his nature determined his desire his desire then determined his direction and he got up out of the hog pen and went back to daddy. Anybody who has truly been born again into the family of God, they may get in the hog pen, but they're not going to stay in the hog pen. Through the conviction and chastisement of God the Holy Spirit, God will bring you to the place where you too come to yourself or he'll take you out of this world. That's a different message for a different day, but the Bible does say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that you are the temple of God and the man that defiles the temple of God, that man will God destroy. When you come to the place, let me just give you a little bit of background. My brother died at the age of 18. And he was making decisions in his life at that time that were completely and totally outside the will of God. He was certainly not living at the foot of the cross, and I'm not saying anything about anybody. I wouldn't either. But my brother was a believer. He was a child of God, and I think he had went so far that he was then bringing offense to the enemy. Amen. And God said, that's enough. And I think God brought him home. And I think that will happen to the believer that continually ignores the coming to yourself. Amen? This young man went back to the father's house because he wasn't a pig. He didn't have the nature of a pig. He had the nature of a son. Now watch. This is the good part. And I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before thee and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but he was yet a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion, had compassion, had compassion, had compassion, and he ran, watch, and fell on his neck and kissed him. First of all, it would have been a good time for the, for the father to cut him a hickory limb and wear this sucker out as he was coming. To jerk off his belt like my daddy used to do me, like Zorro. I have worked on it at my house. 
trying to get the motion down that my dad had. He had there was a sound of that belt coming out of his britches that would make me stop cold in my tracks. And I'd be like, me and my brother, all of us, man, we, no matter what we was doing, that's all it took was just the sound. And I've worked on trying to get the sound down. I just can't do it because it works. He didn't have to go any further. All he had to do was get the belt out. But that ain't what the father did here. Sure, there's a time for chastisement, but I believe this young man got his correction in the pig pen. He got compassion when he came to the Father. And the Bible says, yet when he was yet a great way off. Let me tell you what that says to me. That says the Father was looking. If he was still a great way off, it ain't like he had to come up and knock on the door and get Daddy out of the recliner. It wasn't like he had to walk in and say, hey, Dad, I'm home. Anybody know where Dad is? No, they went, what happened? The Bible says when he was yet a great way off, the father met him. That means the father was sitting at the house looking down the road in the direction in which the son left, and he couldn't wait till his son come back home. So when he was yet a great way off, the father met him. The Bible says he ran, fell on his neck, hugged him, and kissed him on the cheek, put a ring on his finger, and said, let's, let's party. Let's have a party. You're home. Son, I'm going to show you how to really party. Hello? You've tried all the world has to give you. Now we're really going to celebrate. Now I'm really going to show you what joy is all about. Because you've come back home. That's the story of the prodigal son. What about the prodigal pig? Peter said the prodigal pig, after it had been, it had been washed, the sow, after it had been washed, went back to the mire. You hear me? One of my favorite movies when I was a little boy was Charlotte's Web. Anybody remember Charlotte's Web, the cartoon? I bet I watched that 150 times when I was a little boy. There was a, there was a pig on there named, y'all remember his name? Wilbur. Yeah, Wilbur. And there was a little girl named, who was it? Charlotte was not the little girl. Charlotte was the spider. I don't remember the little girl's name either, but <laughs> I do remember Wilbur. The little girl, did you know it? It was Fern. Yes, good. Yeah, that's who it was. All right. So Fern takes Wilbur, who she's going to take to the county fair, and washes him up. Y'all remember that? She washed him up good. And as soon as she turned her back, what did Wilbur do? run right back and got in the mud. Let me tell you why. Because that's what a pig does. Let me tell you why. It's got the nature of a pig. It goes back to the mud over and over and over again. And that's all a pig can do. Because nature determines direction, or excuse me, desire. Desire determines direction. Listen to me now. And direction determines destiny. Let me tell you the destiny of a pig. It's in the hog pen. The destiny of a son is at the father's house. But without desire, neither one of them get to where they really want to be. That's why I'm saying for someone who's truly been born again, listen, you're going to have a desire for the things of God. Yeah, you may get away from God. Folks, guess what? I got away from God today. You did too. See, the truth is this. If, if y'all knew some of the stuff I think sometimes, and we could put it up here on this screen, y'all wouldn't have let me preach tonight. Y'all to run me out of here on a rail. However, if I knew what you thought and put it up here on that screen, I'd have a whole lot more to preach on. <laughs> right? That's true. So, listen, we may get away from God. But our desire is to always be back at daddy's house. Why? Because that's where peace is found. That's where power is found. That's where purpose is found. That's where the joy of the Lord is. That's my nature. That determines my direction. My destiny is with him. Not so with the pig. The pig will always, always, always go back to the pig pen. Let me read to you something that um, I got for, from Dr. McGee. 
Man, it's good. I'm just going to read it and let the Lord speak to your heart like he spoke to mine through this. Um, let me make sure where we're at here. The interesting thing now is that Peter says, and the sow that was washed returned to her wallowing in the mire. Now we can add something to the parable of the pig pen and the prodigal son. One of these little pigs in the pig pen said to the prodigal son, you say you want to leave the lovely pig pen with all of this nice mud and goo and you want to go to your father's house. That sounds good. In fact, you sold me. I think maybe I'll go up there with you and try it myself. So the prodigal son told him, if you go up there, things are sure going to be different than around here. You're going to have to clean up. When they got to the father's house, the father uh, put his arms around the boy and said, bring forth the robe. Actually, he could smell those clothes that his son had been wearing in the pig pen. And what he really meant was give him a good bath and then put a new robe on him. He can't smell like that and live in my house. The little pig went with the prodigal son and he had to get all cleaned up too. They washed this little pig up nicely and tied a pink ribbon around his neck. They brushed his teeth with Pepsodent and the little pig went squealing through the house. But it was only a couple of days until the little pig came to the prodigal son with a downcast look and said, Prodigal son, I don't like it here. The son said, why? I'm having the best time I've ever had. I've had the best time of my life since I came home. And you say you don't like it here. What's wrong? The little pig replied, I don't like this idea of having white sheets on the bed. If we could just get to the place where there is plenty of good sloppy mud, I could sleep better there. We just don't go uh, do that around here in the father's house, said the prodigal son. You just can't live in a pig pen here. Another thing I don't like is sitting at a table using a knife and fork and having a white tablecloth and eating out of a plate. Why couldn't we just have a trough down on the floor and put everything in there? We could all jump in and have the biggest time of our lives. We don't do that here, said the son. And the little pig said, well, I think I'll arise and go to my father. His old man wasn't in that house, and so he started back to his home. He had been all cleaned up, but he went back to the pig pen and found his old man right down in the middle of the biggest loblolly you've ever seen. Mud all around him, dirty, filthy, and smelly. That little pig began to squeal and made a leap for it. He jumped in right beside his father saying, Old man, I'm sure glad to be back home. You know why? Do you know why? Why was he glad to be back home? Because he's a pig. See, he wanted to be back at daddy's house. Just like the son did. So we got to ask ourselves. Are we a sow? Or a son? I don't know the answer for you. But you know. But I'll tell you this. There is a loving, heavenly Father that wants all of us to be a part of his family. And he can supernaturally change your nature so that you can be what he wants you to be. Comments or questions?